This is the Bob McCowan Podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers online casino and sportsbook app today. With John Shannon, I'm Bob McCowan. Hello, Shannon. Robert, how are you? How was your weekend? Not bad. Yours? Well, it was... <laughs> I I had to wear a name tag this morning to introduce myself to my wife. because oh, that was I was on TV, huh? Yeah, and she's not she's not really into hockey or football. So you watch both, I gather. Oh yeah, yeah. How could you not? Football during the day, hockey at night. Well, and and the and the football games. Um, you know, I I I think I'd be lying to say it was great football, but I but it was dramatic. That's the one thing I would say is that it was. There was a lot of emotion and there was a lot of ebb and flow, but, but like it wasn't spectacular football, but it gosh, between what was going on in Detroit um, and then last night in Orchard Park, it was, it was quite something. No real surprises though. No, I don't think so. I, I think the biggest surprise probably for lots of people was how close the 49ers game was on Saturday. Yeah, probably. You know, yeah. The, the, you know, pull that out in the fourth quarter. The Packers aren't a fluke, and that's I, I think that's the one thing that uh, well maybe when you finish the season and you start next season, there there's a team that lost its last game, but it's going to start next season with a ton of hope, don't you think? Um, maybe, you know, the question is, did they play really well, or did uh, did the opposition not play as well as they should have? Or, or were the Packers forcing them to play that way? I, Maybe. I mean, I think that they outplayed the Dallas Cowboys badly. Um, and uh, and for a lot of what was going on in uh, in San Francisco on on Saturday, they looked they looked impressive. They they have some. They, listen, that was a learning lesson for for love for the quarterback, and uh, I think that they're going to be something somebody to reckon with. And when you think about it now, I mean Detroit. And Green Bay both play in that same division. It could be a real catfight next year. Well, do you uh, have an opinion on the uh, championship games yet? Well, um, I still think, uh, I, and I think we talked about this last week. Um, I still think this is Baltimore's sure, AFC the, championship. Clearly, the best team in the NFC in, uh, football. Yeah, but I, I think Detroit can go to San Francisco and win. You do, huh? I do. I think Detroit can go in there and play effective football, good defensive football, and the, the and uh, when you talked about uh, uh, how well or how poorly the 49ers played, I I think that I think the Lions can go toe to toe with them, particularly yeah, if Debo Samuel, particularly if Debo Samuel can't play. Well, maybe. I don't think it matters that much, though, because I think there'll be a severe underdog to Baltimore in the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah I think everybody's an underdog to the to the Ravens. I agree with you. Yeah. I think they're the best team in football. I have for, for many weeks, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I would, think... when they destroy, you know, when they, I mean, they destroyed the 49ers the last time they played. Yeah. Uh, and it's... Uh, and we we talked about this uh, four weeks ago. Could you imagine if Jim Harbaugh and John Harbaugh both won their championships, and uh, Jim did his part? Now it John's two games away. Yeah. Well, 
His brother was at the game, I think, yesterday. So he's been at both both the two uh, the the two games. Yeah, he's yeah. he's been there. So yeah, fascinating. All right, hey, so uh, all right, we have a to little go. drama, a little drama in the National Hockey League, and we got Glenn Healy uh, to talk to us. I mean, Corey Perry is back, Patrick Waugh is back, um, and uh, I'd love to know what Healy thinks of the Toronto Maple Leafs, who went two and two on a Western road trip. We'll uh, get that in just a minute. Glenn Healy coming up on the podcast back after this. Hi, this is Bob McCowan for BetRivers.com. Hey, if you're looking for a sports book or casino app, you should check out the BetRivers sports and casino app today. Play all of your favorite casino games for real money anywhere and anytime. Plus, get in the action with each sports game with hundreds of sports betting options. And get ready to feel like a VIP because you'll earn both loyalty level points and bonus store points on every real money wager you make. You must be 19 plus available in Ontario only. Please play responsibly. If you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone close to you, contact Connex Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 or speak to an advisor free of charge betrivers.com welcome back to the podcast mccallan there shannon here joined by the executive director of the national hockey league alumni association glenn healy peels how are you today life is good gentlemen i hope you're doing well hope the christmas season was good to you and new year's equally as well it, it looks good to you john it looks like you've Build it nicely to the frame. Well done. Uh, but happy belated year to everybody. And ladies Robbie and Burns coming. So there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, pot calling kettle black. <laughs> sure. Uh, okay. So um, when the news came down the pipe, Patrick Waugh is back in the National Hockey League and he's behind the bench of the New York Islanders. What was your first thought? Uh, not shocking, just based on uh, Lou Lamarillo's past record and the way he has run his organizations. He runs them rather uniquely. It is different than probably most of the other 31 clubs. It seems like the other clubs have decided to go in a different way with uh, analytics people and a whole host of uh, bigger uh, management groups. And Lou still manages his group. Uh, kind of the, the rules based on Lou. And so yeah. he does make some shocking uh, at times decisions and some that make us go, hmm, somewhat strange. But looking at that organization and what they've done and how they have looked at their future and said, it is now, time is now, I can see two things, a frustration from ownership group saying we need more, we need it now, we've built a new arena, let's, let's, speed this up and if that's the case the easiest voice to change as you would know john you do the oiler games week in week out and they made a change in the voice behind the bench and that totally changed uh the fate of their team so maybe it maybe it's a little bit of, of both but doesn't surprise me with Lou's team i don't expect you to know the roster but how good are the islanders well you know you you know i, I like their team today I don't necessarily love their team in two years. And I think a lot of what has gone on with their club is they've mortgaged some of that future. 
to, you know, go get a Bo Horvat. Now that's, he's not a bad player, good player. Uh, clearly, you know, it was a guy that, um, you know, they were in, they've been interested in a while, right? They were interested in when Lou was somewhere else, but some of the trades that they've made have left the cupboard bare and with other clubs in their division starting to catch up, you know, you, you look at it three years from now and you wonder, are they going to be as uh, adventurous as the devils have been with how they've developed their team? Are they going to be like the Rangers and how they've developed their team? That those are the questions I would ask, not this year, but down the road, if the club is, is best suited to compete with a whole bunch of teams that have changed the way they're doing things. What, what is, is it about Patrick Waugh that so many other teams, um, you know, passed him up, passed him by so many job oh. opportunities. Yeah. You know, Bob, God, I don't know if teams have just passed him by or maybe, you know, when you have that resume and that, ilk that he has he can be pretty picky as to where he wants to work and he, he doesn't have to jump at the first job and say i need to get back in you know and in fact he's comfortable sometimes being out and everywhere he's gone he seemed to have found a way to win seems to have found a way to get the players on his side and how do you question a player like patrick Wah? It, it's really hard when you put that level of player behind a bench in a locker room when he's talking to players for guys to look at him and say, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he's a minor league coach he played in the minors. What does he know about playing in the NHL? Mm -hmm. It's a different story with a few of these guys. And he would be one of Mark Messier, be another one, you know, parade him in into any locker room anywhere at any time. And you're going to get 23 people looking straight ahead at him. I know. And Messier, he has that presence. You know, Messier has never coached. You know, you know what? Uh, and Raw has and won too. So yeah. there was this guy Phil too. He coached a basketball team in the Windy City. He never coached either. How did he do? He was okay. He won what eleven championships. Never coached. Why would you dare put a rookie back there? But you know, I think Patrick comes with a presence, and I think he's selective. And um, I, I look at that group in uh, in Long Island. There's a lot of Montreal connection with that group and Lou and some of the people that work in the organization, maybe there's a different comfort level. Maybe he just felt the time is right, but he stepped into it pretty quick and was raring to go in the first practice. Like he didn't step into it, putting his toe in the water. He was sticking his stick right up their ass. Like it was a pretty intense first <laughs> skate or a just go around and make sure you feel okay in your track It was a lot different than a normal skate with Lane. Hey, buddy, you said something that was interesting there, Glenn, in that um, players would know who Patrick Waugh was. And I, I do wonder about that. I mean, I haven't seen – I don't have the birthdays in front of me, you know, but but Patrick finished his career at a, at a certain point, and, and, and there are guys that on that roster that might have been born the last year that he played in the National Hockey League. So how much of an awareness would there be on a regular basis in an NHL dressing room for someone of his ilk? If there is not an awareness of one of the top three or four goaltenders ever to put on the gear ever in the history of our game, and you don't know who he is, hmm. you probably shouldn't be playing in the national hockey. You have to have some sense of where you've been 
as a, a, a league to know where you're going. And there are, look, there's, there's a lot of players. I represent the alumni and there's guys sometimes I've got to put my puzzler on and go, Hmm, where did he play again? I like, I, you know, I do have to do a little bit of thinking, but when it comes to those players, the ones at the top of the food chain, you, you better know who he is. And if you don't, then on the way to the rink, get someone to hockey DB him and figure it out pretty damn quick. Because I can tell you this, once you've made a change in approach with a new coach, the next to go are the players. So that's a message they all know. And the other thing that happens with changes of coaches is what happened in the past where you'd walk in the room and every day there'd be a yellow sweater in your stall and you continued to be on the first line and you wondered like where the cloaking device is that have, has kept you there because you know you don't deserve it. Well, the new guy coming in, he, he it's his rules now. So there's a lot of players that look at this as I can move up the lineup. I can get more responsibility. I'm not stuck in what Lane Lambert thought of me as a player. I have a fresh voice, a new approach, and it's a, it's a real chance for me to, to make a difference. So there's a big change in the locker room, outside the locker room, on the ice. Uh, it just even the way, you know, he'll handle the media. It'll be way different than, than Lane, just based on his resume. You are a former goaltender, so I know you respect Patrick Waugh's ability as a player. Does that matter to most guys when they, when he comes over as a coach that this guy played, he was a great player in the NHL, but he was a goaltender. You know, he didn't skate every day. He, he wasn't on the ice, uh, you know, for 20 minutes or so doing what the defensemen and forwards do generally. Does that matter? I think it's an advantage. And I think, you know, John Shannon was better than anybody. He hired more goalies that – Hockey Night in Canada who could analyze mm -hmm. the game better. You know, look at it as a goalie. I I'd go to I'd go to warm up. I'd pay attention to who changed the color of the tape on their stick. If I saw you went from white tape to black tape, I knew you were struggling. Okay, here's a guy. He's doing anything he can to change his fate. So you get a two on one, pretty good chance he's going to shoot. He needs he needs to put something up on the board. So I would pay attention to curves on sticks, power plays, penalty killing. Who's up next on any shift? If the puck was 200 feet away, I might be looking somewhat at the visitor's bench to see who's standing up to see who's coming next. These are things that a, a fighter, for instance, wouldn't do. He's one one question to, to ask before every game. Is he a lefty or is he a righty? Okay, mm -hmm. ready for the game. Let's go. We had a, a much different uh, kind of scope as to what we had to think of. I'm not saying that we were smarter than the best or we knew more, but we were certainly analytical in every facet of the game. And the other side of it is, yes, he's a goalie. Yes, he, he certainly accomplished more than almost all of them. Uh, but he has also accomplished a lot as a coach. And from the very onset, he proved himself to be a player's coach. Uh, when he went ballistic on the bench at uh, one of his first games that he coached, let the players know, I got your back. Even though it was something right. simple, I have your back. And in today's NHL, when players feel that, they seem to respond better to you than if you're one of the guys who's about to back the bus up and throw them underneath it. Right. You played on Long Island. You played on Long Island. Um, it's a passionate fan base. Oh, it, it actually, at one point, wasn't very big, but it's a growing fan base on the island, too. 
and there's an expectation of those fans. And, and it, it's almost like you felt that Lou was feeling a little bit of that pressure. Well, the organization uh, was one of the quickest to step up and win a cup from expansion straight on. And they mm -hmm. did it the right way. They hired the right people and Bill Torrey is the general manager and Al Arbor is the greatest coach. And they stuck together for 20 years. Bill would draft a player, give him to Al. Al would have to develop him. And if he couldn't develop him, he would go to Bill and say, can't do it. It's time to move on from this player. And they did for a lot of guys. But that stability led to them doing incredible things as, as an organization. And then the Islanders kind of got lost for a little while. And they went into the Spano days of, you know, he's got less money than almost all of my family members uh, and bought an NHL team. How did that happen? And then there was the Charles Wong days who, you know, thought playoffs were great, but they'd be better if there was less hitting. Okay. All right. Well, that's a good thought. Uh, at one point thought of getting a sumo wrestler to play goal in Long Island. Okay. Those days are long gone and the ownership group is very stable have built a new rink, but one thing is for sure, their fan base is, is incredibly passionate. And I look back to our playoff series uh, against Washington, Pittsburgh, and Montreal in 1993. We couldn't even walk to our cars. We had to have our cars brought down to the rink. We had to have security just to get us out of the rink. So there was a revitalization back in 93, and it has continued on. And now with a beautiful brand new arena, and great expectation mm -hmm. and ownership that is fully committed and passionate. It's a much different animal, but the fan base hasn't changed. They are still crazy about their team and they are not about the Rangers. I can tell you it's one or the other. And it ain't both. <laughs> Have they forgiven you yet? No, I'm still Benedict Arnold. I ended up going from the Islanders to the Rangers without even a vote. Like, I didn't even get a vote. It's not like my vote wasn't counted or was miscast or at the time, Mary Giuliani found it somewhere in a box. I didn't even get a vote. And I ended up on the New York Rangers. And the Rangers, their fans didn't like me either because he's an Islander. He's a spy. A spy? For what? You haven't won a cup in 54 years. Boy, you got a lot of good spies working for you. Anyways, but yeah, there it's over now. I can still go to both places and and be welcomed. How about that? But by, by the way, you know uh, when you talk about ownership, you know who's uh, bought into the ownership there and is uh, very active on the business side is your old pal John Collins. Yes, I uh, went down to the Islanders golf tournament and uh, sure enough, uh, beholding to my eyes, I was, "What are you doing here, JC?" <laughs> yeah, we had a good chat, but uh, yeah, he did great things to the league. I mean, when I was. With the players association he pulled me aside and said i need your help yeah. okay not often the league asked players association for help and he said we need to sell these these stadium series we're not going to do one outdoor game we're going to do five or six and we worked hard to sell them and they have become a staple for the league you know 20 years later they're still doing games in numerous cities and as much as we like to chastise it and say well who cares it's just another outdoor game Go to them and go to them in that city, and you'll see who cares. Those local yeah. fan bases care. But, you know, he, he was extraordinary in uh, some of the things he developed with the league, uh, a lot of things he developed with the league. Unfortunately, his timing was wrong in the sense that it happened to be part of a work stoppage. And I don't care what you can make on an outdoor game. If you can save money on player costs, you are probably going to get it back tenfold. And I think that's kind of where labor collided with business 
And now John finds himself with the Islanders working on that business side too. He'll be great for them. The other thing, um, you know, everybody, when th something happens on a Lou Lamorello team, everybody says, well, that's Lou. Uh, we've had Lou many times on the radio show and on this show. Um, what is it that makes Lou so special? And, and, and as you talked about, maybe so different. Well, you're very clear as to how he runs his organization. Like we're not guessing here, you know, uh, when he's in the building, everybody knows about it and particularly staff. And I'm not saying they have some secret hand sign or some secret signal, but I'm saying they have some secret hand sign and they have some <laughs> secret signal. So that when he's in, did I say that out loud? Oh no. Yes. Uh, when he's in the building, uh, you know it, and the organization is run uh, a certain way. And some ways we can we can liken it, uh, other ways, uh, and other times we we can disliken the way he runs them. But you know he runs it a lot like a college team. So you know when you're a, a, a freshman and a sophomore, you know you're developing. Here we go. You become a junior. At some point, you become a senior, and when you become a senior in college, you graduate and you move on. And there are players that, you know, when they get to be senior in rank, uh, he moves on from them and maybe doesn't do it the way the Islanders did, which is maybe hang on a little too long. But, mm -hmm. you know, he is very loyal to his guys. He's fair to his guys. Uh, even players that have been in peril, he's been the first to step up. He's, a, I think, a genuine person. You don't last this long in the game without being that. We are very clear as to how we run things. I like that better than... Kind of there's a gray area, and one day I'm on the right side of the fence, and the other day I'm not. You know what the what side of the fence you're supposed to be on, and he runs it pretty tight, and and very tight in the sense there's not many people in that decision-making booth uh, that, you know, when the cone of silence comes down, and it's Maxwell Smart and his partner, very few people are in that cone of silence, but he runs it pretty, pretty efficiently. And I think that's why Malkin likes or uh, likes it so much. He's not he's not here. He's not hands on. You know, uh, he spends most of his time in in England. And I, I think Ledecky's more hands on, and maybe that frustrates John at times a little bit more. But it's clear how the organization is run. The uh, I, undoubtedly the hottest organization, winning wise, in the last month, has been the Edmonton Oilers. And we talk a lot about Vancouver and Winnipeg as the top of the standings in the West, you know, and where they could be and could they win a Stanley Cup, et cetera. But Edmonton would have to be uh, really right there in the discussion. What about the signing of Corey Perry? What do you think of that? Does uh, well, that matter? I, I think it helps him. And the the moment that Corey was let go by Chicago, and if it was any other franchise, like Chicago, you know, they're, they had a pretty short leash on all of their staff players for, well, for sure. reasons. One they were horrible. To get into. But um, when things went awry, I mean, he still has a pretty good resume for 24 years in the NHL to say that there's something there, there. And this is maybe an incident that regrettable, move on, apologize, get the treatment and help you need. And become the player that you know everybody wanted and everybody does want when it comes to trade deadline. So you, you knew he was going to get a chance. And look at Edmonton, if if they looked at Evander Kane 
and decided that that's the guy we're going to give a chance to. Then Corey Perry with his incident uh, is, is someone, you know, again, they're looking in the next short period of time to take the next step. Like time is ticking, you know, Connor he turned 27. I mean, this is, didn't he just come in the league recently? Now he's, he's now coming up to 30 and it just, it, it, it is time for them to take the next step. They know it. And they know that, you know, bottom six forwards, sometimes they're the ones that can take you over the top. Look at all the teams that have done it with, with play with teams. It necessarily isn't the top six that are the ones that drive it. So I think they've done a good thing here. And uh, I think you'll fit in perfectly. I think he's learned a lesson and I think he'll be a, a great add to that locker room. He's a good dude. And uh, so he'll fit in nice. He's not one of those guys that comes with, you know, baggage and all kinds of stories and people talk about him for what he he doesn't do properly there's not much of that going on but but he i agree with you but there are going to be people that say that he does come with baggage yeah he does. what has he done what has he done since uh since the events in and around that week in chicago um and well, that, they, that will be a hard that will be a hard discussion won't it well, what what events? Does anyone know? I, know I don't. That we we don't know. Yeah. So that's the, the, are, the, and I'm, and I don't think we ever will know. No, and nor should we. It's not really none of our business, other than they decided internally that uh, they had no margin for giving anyone any rope, and so mm-hmm. you know, he was a, a person that that kind of went down with the ship, so to speak, for his actions and and paid dearly. What those actions are, I don't I don't know. And I don't think anybody does, but I, I do know this. You get them for free, pretty good. Uh, you have cap space, unlike 19 teams that have nothing, nothing that are like literally, you know, have five and six and 10 guys on long-term injury just to get to the cap. Like how do you put five guys on long-term injury just so you can make it to zero to have no money to spend is clearly not really good management of your asset, but they've managed an asset well enough cap space to fit him in. And, and if it doesn't work out and you have to send him to the minors, you send him to the minors. No one's saying he's got to stick around and be a cheerleader all year. You'll find out pretty quick, but I do believe he will be a good at, I believe he's a great player. And I do believe he's added a lot to each of the teams that he's went to as he's taken him to the Stanley Cup Finals. Maybe not finish the deal, but when he's got there, he's gotten them a lot further than the first round. But don't isn't it true that NHL executives so often overexpect results from players who are 40-plus years old or close to that, who have had great careers in the past? You know, you, there's a tendency to look at their resume and say, well, you know, the guy... He was this was this was probably one of the five or ten best players in the NHL, but it was 15 years ago, and they they hope for that. They hope there's a they, the guy can refine that touch at age 40. Well, it never happens. It's not the truth. Well, uh, for the All Star Game, our Man of the Year for the NHL alumni, it's the 1967 Toronto Maple Leaf team. And there's seven alive, and they'll all be in Toronto for it. 
Uh, and weren't they the Euler didn't sign any of them, did they? Weren't they the over 40 group? Weren't they the over the hill group? Weren't they the group that was too old to accomplish anything back in 67? And oh gosh, look what they did. And then, you know, I look at our group at the, the Rangers in 94, and you know, we had, I'm going to guess, we had 10 players or nine players from the Oilers, John, that like back in the oh. early 80s when they were winning their cups and we just went, oh, they're available? Let's grab that group, right? So we put yeah. them on, a, you know, the, uh, the assisted living bus with all the rest of us. And off we went down the, the road collecting our social security checks seemed to work out. I mean, the St. Louis Blues, right? They needed two goalies for their expansion team that lost to Boston in the finals. They got two goalies out of retirement in Plant and Hall. I don't know, but I do know this. We're not looking for Corey Perry to be that guy who was with Getzlaff back in Anaheim. But they are looking for Corey Perry to be that stabilizing dressing room force, that stabilizing guy who can take the third and fourth line and make them something you're going to pay attention to and not something that you're going to look at the clock and go tick tock. They survived another 30 seconds. The clock killers are off time for someone to go out and do something different. That's not what he'll provide. He, he has an impact um, for a lot of his on ice shifts as we have seen. Do you think it's easier to go to a, a, a smaller market? Like, like, the Toronto Maple Leafs could have used Corey Perry's leadership. Yeah. Um, but they, would it have been too big a, a too big a microscope in Toronto? No, I don't. I, look at the, yes, the, everything in Edmonton small. You can look around the rink and know everybody who is in the seats. I know that guy. He's, he's got the grocery store. It is small, right? You, you, you do know it's a fan base. That's, a lot of it's families that have been there for a long time supported. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in some ways they are, they're going to embrace you. You're an oiler. Once you're on, put that sweater on, they're going to embrace you. Uh, they aren't so quick to Larry Murphy, you, to boo you right out of town. So you can go win a couple more cups. That, that, that's right. not their fan base. Typically. I mean, I was there when Wayne came back uh, to Edmonton when he was at, with the Kings and, it was an eight or nine minute standing ovation for a player who didn't play for them anymore, who left their organization. And they still, you know, too bad the Kings didn't have a goalie or they would have won that game. Oh, that was me playing that. Uh, but anyways, that being said, it, it might be a little less hostile, but if Toronto could have afforded that kind of player, they would have made a pitch, but the, there's, there's no, there's no money there. It's not like you're, you can go and grab that player. It's, it's very difficult to make that move. All right, hey, let's uh, let's take a break. We should talk about the Maple Leafs and uh, what's going on, and uh, probably the most important position on that hockey club these days the the goaltending uh, with an old goaltender, Glenn Healy's with Bob and me on the McCallum podcast. All right, heels. Uh, the Maple Leafs went west. They lost two, and they won two. Did we learn anything? Um, yeah, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The season just goes on. It's no different than their whole season. Uh, it is that way. You know, you are, <clears throat> you, you can't seem to contain and control leads. That's a trademark. Uh, a lot of games go to overtime. So you hang around quite a bit. 
you don't get the puck enough from your defense to your forwards. That's the strength of your team. Quicker you get it on any of those five guys stick, the better you can go play and have fun because you're on offense. Uh, you've had difficulty at times getting big saves, finding the right goalie to play, and having hope be the first word in most sentences. I hope we can get this guy to do this. Too much of that. But it would be typical for a season that has kind of merrily gone on its way uh, and hasn't beaten down the drums of anything historic like they've had in the past with a couple of them. Uh, but typical of the, I think, of, of this group and as I would analyze strengths and weaknesses of their team. They have, uh, they've had good regular seasons the past few years and then failed in the playoffs. This is probably as mediocre a regular season as they've had. Does this augur well for the future, or is this a reflection of the fact that they just aren't a good enough hockey team to be a Stanley Cup contender? Well, forget the statistical side of it, right? Whether it was a good, it's a good season or not a good season, or whether they can hold on to leaves or not hold on to leaves. Forget all that stuff. What I see with my eyes is that when they play teams that go from a compete level of, say, 98.6 body temperature and drive it up, the, Toronto has a real hard time driving it up with that team. So the other night against Colorado, when Nathan McKinnick said, I had enough, like, let's take this game to another gear. Toronto didn't seem to have that gear to match it. And I'd seen that in the playoffs with them on a, a couple of occasions when Florida took that compete level to another another degree or two or five or 10, and there was no match for it. And that's what I'm looking for with Toronto. That ability to take that level, no matter how you compete, whether it's physically, whether it is, you know, you want to play a run and gun game, you want to play a defensive style game. They just are physical game. They just don't have that level uh, to do it. And, and Detroit was another example. They came in into Toronto we know the story late, showed up in their tracksitos. None were dressed like it was an NHL game. It looked like the, you know, coming off the bus from the Beveridge's All-Stars way back in 1967. And sure enough, when Detroit turned it up, they didn't have a response. And that's what I think they've got to get in this dress rehearsal you call the regular season. The ability to show themselves that they can drive it up based on their compete level against an opposition or whether they drive it up and the opposition matches them. That's but the reality is, Heels, that they get almost zero offense from their third and fourth line. Almost nothing. And yeah. uh, their defense, we all know, is not strong. And the goaltending has been questionable, too. So there's a lot of issues with the Maple Leafs, don't you think? Yeah, because we're not looking at getting in the playoffs. We're not looking at getting into the first round we're looking at this team where they are contractually where they are with their players uh this is the time to strike this is the time you don't get you can't every year say all right we're going for it let's go sell a bunch of first round picks and load it up and trade away the you know everything we've got in the cookie cupboard so we're gonna they did that they tried that and so mm -hmm. there's a lot of people saying we'll do it again you know you've got First round pick this year, maybe that's in the books. Uh, you, you don't have one the next year. You've got one three years from now. You have no second round picks for the next three years. And if you look at how teams do improve, it is on the, at the podium. 
That's how you improve your team, not with free agent signings. You'll overpay for them every day. So, there, yeah, there are deficiencies with this group. How you can address them, uh, that, that is a challenge based on the economics of, of what they're living, which is no cap space, lots of players on long-term injury, and uh, players that are on long-term injury that are saying they weren't even, they're not hurt enough to be on long-term. Like, there's a lot going on there uh, in Toronto. But are they good enough? No, they're not good enough, and they're showing us that. But, you know, uh, trade deadline is not come and gone, and this group's got a lot further to go, and and now there's question marks about their coach. So this is a saga that's never-ending. You, you mentioned something about free agency there. Um, the Nylander deal. What, what, what do you make of that then? Well, you know, if you, you and you're a player's guy, Glenn. Yeah. So you're a you player's rewind, guy. You rewind and you go back to what we thought of Nylander two years ago, three years ago, a year and a half ago. And there were, you know, it's funny when you have a player like him, and you have him for a while, sometimes all you can see is the player's warts. It's all you see is, ah, he's, he's not tough enough. He doesn't hit enough. He, defensively, he's not good enough, right? You, that's all you see. You don't see what he really can do, which is be an elite top six player in the league. And so contractually, you can't come to terms with him. So the player goes, you know, back up against the wall. Fine, I will show you. He assumes a risk. It'll have blown his knee out in training camp. That would be it. Oh, too bad. And the old offer we put on the table, we were pulling off. Uh, he didn't assume the risk. And as you go further down the season, he's showing them exactly what he was and told them he was as a player. And now all of it switches to Toronto. They start to lose that leverage and they realize he's one of our top guys and we can't afford to lose top players. It takes forever to get them, draft for them and and cultivate them we finally have them we missed the mark by a couple months we, player could have easily come out and been very vanilla he wasn't vanilla he was a chocolate dip cone and an extra large and has done everything you could imagine and as a result you're going to pay for it and you know you could talk about the eight years too much too long these deals are too long any player like that it starts with an eight probably is more like a 10 but let's start it with an eight and you're going to get what you're going to get uh based on the fact the Leafs lost the leverage as this player performed yeah but this team this organization has failed with this approach of having four or five guys making max money and nothing else be to support them and the Neil under deal was one the first real opportunity real opportunity to say, okay, this hasn't worked. Let's go a different direction. And they haven't done that. And I wonder whether, do you think this is Treliving's idea or whether he's being told this is the way we're going to go? I would say my own opinion would be that contract, that dollar value, that term, that handicap of, of what you just talked about, Bobcat, which is, it does put you in a precarious situation with your cap and how heavy you are into four or five players. Uh, that decision was made above Brad's. Uh, he's probably given parameters, but to, to take it to the level that it went to, being one of the richest, if not the richest contract the Leafs ever signed, 
there, there's a pecking order and it had to go north of him. But, you know, the Leafs don't want to lose that player. You know, they probably could look at, you know, 18 other players in the roster and say, oh, yeah, we could lose him. No problem. If someone mm-hmm. wants to take all of our goalies. Yeah. Yeah, we could. We'll do that. Yep. That's fine. You know, uh, defense. We'll keep one, but you have the rest. Like there's a whole host of players that they'd be more willing to part with. But the the jewels, the ones that don't come along very often, the ones that can put the puck in the net, which is something you can't teach, the ones that make everybody on the ice more dangerous. I think that's where this player comes in. That's why they wanted to keep him. And that's why they paid him. But it doesn't alleviate their problems, which are if they have a group of defensemen that can get the puck to these forwards quick as possible and let them go play, they're in a better group, in a better right. situation. They don't have that group of defense, unfortunately. Or the goaltender yep. who can make that save while they play try to play on the loose end of the puck without structure. The, the other thing you said that concerned me was you talked about Nathan McKinnon being a game changer. Um, that's supposed to be Austin Matthews. I mean, we did see a little glimpse of that in Calgary on Thursday night being a game ta- game changer. But are we seeing enough out of Austin Matthews to be a – we're supposed to be able to put him in the same sentence of Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid. Can we do that? Um, well, you, you know, McKinnon has some help from one of his friends anyways. This McCarr guy seems to be okay. So – yeah. There's a few guys on the Maple Leafs that can be good. Mitch Marner's a good support guy. Nylander is supposed to be a support guy. I mean, Leon Dreisaitl is that in Edmonton. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you take on the personality of your coach, and sometimes you take on the personality of your captain. And maybe the Maple Leaf team, the personality of the coach and the captain in Tavares is in complete opposite to what uh, might be the personality of the coach and captain in Edmonton or the coach and captain in Colorado. So mm-hmm. every, every organization is a different kind of family dynamic, so to speak. And the, you know, the Leafs, uh, John is very conservative, a very conservative captain doesn't say a lot. And it, it's a different mix than uh, McKinnon. You don't have any problems having him speak. And it seems like McDavid turning 27, he's got lots of opinions, which I love because these are the guys that can change the game uh, from a from a world standpoint, Olympic standpoint, World Cup standpoint. They're starting to speak up, and that's good in that sense. But every team's got a different family dynamic. Well, there's only one of them. We're talking about three guys who are great players, maybe the three best players in the NHL. Only one of them has a standing cup, right? Right. So yeah. – you know, okay. and 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 to to Glenn's point, Bob, uh, Nathan McKinnon had the best support. Yeah. Well, I mean, sure. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Took Ray Bork to his last game, his last shift, to go to another team and say bye bye to Boston to go to Colorado with that Patrick Roy guy you talked about initially. Yes, uh, to go win a cup there. And, you know, right to the very end in one goal game, game seven, uh, you know, I played with Mike Gartner, one of the greatest goal scorers you could have. And just what didn't have the support group around him to, to win it in Washington or to win it in New York when he was there, or win it in Toronto. I mean, just 
you, you need to have that group around you. You're not doing it by yourself. And uh, well, you can't do it in a team sport. Look at baseball. Look at Otani, just signed a seven hundred million dollar contract. How many playoff games has he won? He's never been in one. Forget a championship game. Yeah, he's never been in a play in the playoffs. So, yeah. you know, what are we thinking in sports? Well, hockey is more team oriented. We all know that. If you don't have goaltending, you you're going to notice it in in every way. You're going to take a good team and make it average without goaltending. End of story. You can take an average team with good goaltending. You can win any playoff series anytime in any two week war, and it is just the way. And it's the guys. When you look at the Stanley Cup teams that win, there's always one or two guys that come out of nowhere, surprise the heck out of you, and are the ones that are the difference makers. Are our, our goaltenders underpaid then? I've always said this. Don't you think so? Well, we, there was the there was a moment in time when we started to kind of eclipse the salary range, and and guys were getting paid pretty handsomely. And yeah. then then you had like these two teams. Philly and Chicago that went to the finals and one guy was picked up on waivers for the cost of a Pinto, a Ford Pinto. And the other guy, I think it was first save wins. And then teams went, Hmm, you can go to the finals, spend all your money somewhere else. And you maybe can just, you know, roll the dice on goaltending. And that seemed to be the flavor for a little while, didn't it? And then well, uh, look at last year, Glenn. Yeah. I mean, Vegas, Vegas had, Less than $4 million in goaltenders when they right. won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Uh, I, I watched Sidney Crosby. Um, you know, the, the best mm -hmm. player on his team the year he won the Cup was Marc-Andre Fleury. And he got hurt. And then they passed it off to a, their second goaltender, whose name escapes me. He got Matt, hurt. Matt Murray. Matt Murray. Matt Murray was the third goal. And he appeared. Oh, Zatkoff. Jeff Zatkoff. Zatkoff played. He was like the guy that got him past the Islanders. Or whatever it was in the second round, and then he got hurt, and Matt Murray comes on board, and I thought, well, it's Matt Murray guy. Wow, that's he. Could he win a cup? Could he find a way to win? A cup? I was just trying to find a way to get him some leg muscles. I've never seen skinnier legs in my life. <laughs> then Secretariat had skinny legs too. I don't know. Maybe this guy's a thoroughbred, and he wins the cup as their third goalie. So, uh, but but I do believe that it. It's a real stabilizing force when you can look behind you and know you're going to get the save no matter well, what So happens. why don't general managers acknowledge that? When was the last time uh, a, a goaltender was taken first in the NFL NHL draft? Never, right? Marc-Andre Mark Fleury would have been Marc-Andre Fleury. Okay. Whatever. And yeah. generally speaking, they don't, teams don't start thinking goaltending until at least the second round. And a lot of times... A lot later than that, right? Well, the teams, there's there's two things that strike me with teams. One, nobody can understand goaltending. Nobody, right? And number okay. two, it, it, they seem to have now packaged every goaltender into, it, it's almost like we need to know your height before we decide whether you're going to draft you. So if you're 6'2 and below, I, I don't care if you come in with like, fairy wings and you have got a super cape on they just don't seem to want to draft smaller goalies based on the percentages of how guys play today and uh so judging a goalie based on their height and that's your parameter well you're 50 percent wrong for sure with that and then not understanding 
that position and what it takes, I think is probably the bigger issue for a lot of scouts. They don't quite get it and they're not quite sure what they're looking at. And yeah, I would agree. They're stupid is what, is what they are. Well, if you're just based yeah, on the goaltenders, goaltenders do take a longer time to mature. Then what? That's a reality. A defenseman or a close second. Yeah. Well, how about defensemen sometimes are taken high in the in the draft? Goaltenders are never taken high. Because because you need six defensemen to put on your team. You only need two goaltenders. That's why, Bob. You need well, more bodies. Yeah, but we just talked about we spent five minutes discussing discussing the fact that you can't win a big time without a goaltender. We didn't say that about defensemen. All but I you look didn't at say a, you uh, need uh, a whole no, slew of great defensemen to win a Stanley Cup. It might be true, but it's but we didn't discuss it. Goaltending, you gotta have. You I, gotta I have. It's a recipe, and if uh, the teams that have it, historically, you look at it, they are strong in the middle, right? They're not strong on the wings. The Oilers, for years, it was their wingers that they drafted first overall, right? Your Taylor Hall. Yep. You know, the, the guy right. here's not centers, wingers. And then oh, this McDavid guy comes along. Now you start to see a bit of a change in the fate of their team. But a lot of teams, Tampa Bay, you know, multiple cup winner. You got Victor Hedman, pretty good defenseman. Very mobile, plays half the game, uh, keeps you out of that's trouble. All, that's all nice. But you had great goaltending. Vasilevsky was a pretty damn good goalie there too. Yes, he so, was. There, there is that recipe of strength in the middle, at least a candidate for Norris Trophy or conversation of that player. Well, maybe, yeah, strength sure. And, goal. and Carey Price took a Montreal team a number of years ago that didn't belong in the playoffs, arguably, to the Stanley Cup final. I get yeah. it with the Canadian division. I get all yeah. that stuff. But he found a way to do something that no other goaltender in Canada could do, which is put them in the final. And it, he paid for it dearly. It cost him arguably his career because of playing through the injuries he had to play through. That being said, uh, he there's there's your examples. But if it's average or below average, you're going nowhere. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, you're right. Uh, before we let you go, Glenn, uh, you, you know the the alumni is uh, you've you've changed the whole atmosphere around former players. Uh, and next week is All-Star Week in Toronto. Uh, you guys are involved. It's got to be a thrill to be part of what the NHL is trying to create. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things that, that stand out. One, I'm, our man of the year this year, I'm, I'm proud of that group. It's a 67 Toronto Maple Leaf team. Uh, they have not been honoured. Uh, they have with big uh, celebrations of all the teams or closing of buildings, but not to specifically say, that this 67 team that did something, uh, the old boys, I don't know, we, we talked about that earlier, um, mm -hmm. won the Stanley Cup and beat the two best teams in hockey to do it. And it took them to game seven to to accomplish it. We haven't seen game one. Six. Game, game six. Game, game six. six. We haven't seen one in this city since. So we're going to honor them in a big way. It'll be done coast to coast to coast on Sportsnet, which, again, is another – step forward uh it's not um you know at a hotel by the airport with a rubber chicken dinner and everybody held at their table like a hostage uh this will be something special uh and then we will have a post celebration where there'll be about 
150 alumni that will welcome them uh, to a post party. So there's a whole bunch of things going on over All Star, uh, a bunch of, uh, there's a speaker series with Cujo and Mats. There's a speaker series with Zdeno Chera and with Dougie Gilmore, all happening at Hotel X. And uh, a, a bunch of activations with the league uh, taking our sport and making as, as grand as it should be for the world on a celebratory weekend. So it's an exciting weekend, but I'm most excited about honoring the 67 team. There are only seven that are still alive. And wow. uh, now's the time to pay homage to their greatness and what they've done for the city. I played in Toronto. It was sold out every game. If you think for a second that any of those fans bought a ticket to watch my ass play, you're kidding yourself. They bought tickets because of what Johnny Bauer and Sachuk, Heon and Mahovlich and Pulford and what these players did to build that culture where better get your seats now because they're going fast. And I, I got the benefit of the result of the road they paved for me. Well, All right, Heels. It's, uh, it's going to be a great weekend. And I, there's going to be tons of criticism, but as, as you and I both know, organizing an all-star weekend and trying to keep everyone happy is almost impossible. <laughs> well, there's always the post party that will make you feel a little bit better. Well, that's good. As long as we get tickets, right, Bob? Right. Okay. Right. That's Glenn Haley from the NHL alumni. And uh, never afraid to voice a few opinions. Bob and I'll be back after this. Bob, we haven't got your thoughts on uh, our friends in Edmonton going out and getting Corey Perry. Does it, does I don't it think it matters or... much, to tell you the truth. No? You know, it's not. he's not 24 years old anymore. He's, what, 42 or something like that. Um, uh, yeah, he's, he's late 30s, yeah. Also, you know, this is a team that's won, what, 13 in a row? It is. What do you have to uh, do something like that? <laughs> well, me. I tell you what the the one thing the one thing I would say um, is that if you go past, I think they're top nine forwards. They do lack some depth. I I wonder now this all this teams allows lack them depth. all teams. well, and so that, that's a that then reinforces I think what I'm trying to say is that you know they I, need, I guess they so. need depth just... players. He, 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 he Bob he is only a depth player now. That's all he is. I know, I understand that. Yeah. And maybe you're right. Maybe it won't matter that much. But do you want to do something with a high profile guy like him at a time when everything is going right in the organization? And I don't know about that. Yeah, that's the chemistry is an interesting aspect. It is, yes, very much. Yeah, I agree. All right. Okay. Well, that's it for today. Uh, and by the way, the Oilers have three more games this week before the break. That's uh, Columbus. Chicago, Corey Perry's old team, and I'm not sure he'll be ready to play by then. And then Nashville on Saturday. So we'll see what happens uh, before the All-Star break. Thanks, Three Bob. Three games they should win or could win, right? Should. They should win. Should. They should yeah. win. You're right. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening or watching the McCowan Podcast.